First Corinthians chapter 15. If you open up your newspaper this morning or turn on the television, you will find all sorts of claims being made. There are claims about who has the, the superior product or who is the greatest baseball player or as we uh, are looking in the NCAA tournament, who is the greatest basketball team. There are claims about people. There are claims about companies. There are claims about a suspect in a murder investigation. There are all sorts of claims. Wherever you turn, people are making claims about something. But the most scandalous, perhaps the most important claim that has ever been made is the claim that was made by the disciples of Jesus Christ. And that is the claim that Jesus conquered death. That He rose from the dead. And we know from church history that it became a very divisive claim. That when you consider what it means, it it divides people. Norman Anderson, a professor at London University, put it this way. Either the resurrection of Jesus Christ is infinitely more than a beautiful story, or else it's infinitely less. If it's true, then it is the supreme fact of history. And to fail to adjust one's life to its implication means irreparable loss. But if it's not true, if Christ has not risen, then Christianity is all a fraud foisted on the world by consummate liars, or at best, Deluded simpletons. The claim that Jesus rose from the dead is a divisive claim and a very important one. And it demands something for us if we understand what it means. And so this morning what I would like to do is I'd like to look at the resurrection account. We'll look at that later in Luke chapter 24. And then talk about what the resurrection means and then how we should apply that to our lives. What does that mean for us? So let's begin by uh, looking at the, the divisiveness of this claim in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let's begin reading with verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we of all men are most to be pitied. This is the thing that that Paul is considering. He is considering what would happen if Christ had not been raised. And he mentions the same thing that this this, uh, professor at London also mentioned. That if Christ had not been raised then either we are a bunch of liars or we are deluded. We are confused. And so this morning we want to consider this amazing claim that Jesus was not only crucified for the sake of those who are sinners, but also that He rose from the dead, that He got up. That's what we've been singing about this morning. That Christ arose from the dead. And so we need to understand its implications for us. Now, Jesus did not come only to be a teacher or to be a healer. He came to die in our place as a substitute. And on the cross, what God did was He took 
the sin and the punishment that we deserved, and He put it upon Christ. He put it in our, He put it on Him in our place, and so that the judgment that we deserved was put upon Christ. And so, by dying on the cross, He paid the penalty for our sins. Now, let's look at the resurrection account in Luke chapter 24. This is one account of four that we have in the Gospels by the disciple of Jesus named Luke. Luke chapter 24. And we'll begin reading with verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. The, the two uh, ladies who came upon the scene, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, came to the scene and found that the tomb had been opened, that the place where Jesus had been laid, there was a large stone in front of it, it had been rolled away. And when they entered the tomb, they found that He was missing. And there was a man there in white clothing, an angel who said to them, Jesus is not here, but why are you seeking someone who is living among the dead? Why do you go to the cemetery to look for someone who is alive? Of course, they didn't understand what, what he meant at the time until the angel explained to them, don't you remember what Jesus had told you while he was on this earth? That he would be given over to the hands of evil men and that he would be crucified, that he would be killed but that He would also on the third day rise again. He had predicted this throughout His lifetime. The, the Old Testament prophets had predicted uh, many things about Jesus' death as well. And now it was coming to place. It was, it was taking place. And Jesus was rising from the dead. Now Easter is a holiday in which we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. But in order for us to understand what that means, we need to... We need to look through the Scriptures and find out how we ought to understand this enormous claim, this incredible claim that has been made, and then determine what it means for us. It's not simply an event that happened in history like George Washington becoming president. This has significance for each of our lives. It, it will determine whether we spend eternity with God in heaven or apart from God in an eternity called hell. So we need to understand what the meaning of the resurrection is. Let me have you turn over to Romans chapter 1. We will be doing a lot of searching this morning so that we can understand 
exactly what it is that the, the apostles and the followers of Jesus Christ have to say about the resurrection. But I think it's important for our understanding of what it means. Romans chapter 1. What does the resurrection mean? What is its meaning for us? What did it do for for Jesus Christ and for us? Look at Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul is writing here. He says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, that is Jesus Christ, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God, notice, with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. Look at verse 4 again. Who was declared the Son of God. How was it that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God? Now, the, the, the readers at this time would have understood that the, the phrase, the Son of God, meant that Jesus was saying something about Himself. That when a person said that they were the Son of someone, it wasn't like we say, like the child of. It means that they take on the characteristics of. And so, we find that Jesus calls James and John, two of His disciples, He calls them the sons of thunder. He doesn't mean that their father's name was Thunder. He means that they, they, are, they take on the characteristics of thunder. And so when, when Jesus makes this claim that He is the Son of God by rising from the dead, that's what Paul says here. Notice verse 4. Who is declared to be the Son of God with power. How? By the resurrection from the dead. You see, Jesus proves that He was the Son of God because He rose from the dead. Who else can defeat death? besides God. Who else can rise up after having been put to death besides God alone? There's no one. We sang about that. The death no longer has a sting. Death has been conquered. When, when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, He conquered both sin and death. And so when he's, making, when he's rising from the dead, He is making a claim about Himself, according to Paul here in verse 4, that He is the Son of God that He has taken on the characteristics of God Himself, that He proves that He was God in human flesh. So the resurrection basically becomes a validation of that claim. Jesus had been saying all along that I am the Son of God. He had been saying it all along and finally He comes and proves it. He validates that He is God by rising from the dead. So first of all, the resurrection teaches us that Jesus is God. Secondly, it tells us that Jesus has victory over sin and over death. Now, this is one of the most foundational truths that we as Christians look to. That Jesus rose from the dead. In fact, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 tells us it is the foundation of our salvation. He says, if we confess with our mouth and believe in our hearts that that God raised Him, that is Jesus, from the dead, then we will be saved. So the means to our salvation is believing that Jesus died and that He was raised from the dead. It is also our, our the basis for our right standing before God. Let me read for you Romans chapter 4, verse 25. 
It says, He who was delivered over because of our transgression was raised up because of our justification. That word justification just simply means a right standing before God. That although as sinners we stand before a holy God who demands what? He demands perfect righteousness, doesn't He? Because He is holy. And we as sinners cannot stand in the presence of God. We cannot stand righteously before Him. In fact, we deserve His punishment. We deserve death. But what we find is that Jesus has become our justification. He has, he has been put in our place. Instead of us hanging on that cross, instead of us deserving and receiving eternal punishment, God has put Jesus in our place. He has taken upon Himself the sin of the whole world, past and present and future. And now, if we stand in Christ, then we can receive salvation from our sins. And so what happened when, when Christ rose from the dead was that God was in effect saying that He accepted Christ's work of suffering. It wasn't that Jesus just died and remained dead. It was that there was no longer anything else that had to be paid for sin. That Christ, the, the payment of Christ was sufficient to satisfy God. So in the resurrection, we see that Christ is the Son of God, that He is God, and that He has victory over sin and death. That as believers in Jesus Christ, sin no, no longer has power over us. There is no more slavery to sin. Now we can be a servant of Jesus Christ. So it shows us that Jesus is powerful over sin and death. And then also, the resurrection uh, is a guarantee of our future resurrection. Turn to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And we'll see that Jesus showed His power over death and guaranteed our resurrection from the dead. Romans chapter 6, verse 5. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we also will be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You see there at the end of verse 6, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Paul begins by saying that if we are made in the likeness of Jesus Christ, that if we become a child of God, then we will no longer be slaves to sin. Is there, is there a time, or, or can you point out periods of time in your life where you just feel as if you are in, in bondage 
that you can't get away from these sins that you so much enjoy. Well, there is a way. And Christ gives us that way. The apostles tell us about that way. And that is, if we believe in Jesus Christ, that He has taken that sin upon Himself, and we repent and believe in Him, then we will be saved. We'll talk more about that as we uh, finish up here today. But let me have you turn back one book to Acts chapter 10. This was also written by Luke, the disciple whom we first read the account of the resurrection. This was written by Luke as well. And this is an accounting of the apostles and their ministry. How the the Word of God was spread throughout the, the known world at that time. And from this, I want us to see what the significance of the resurrection is. Okay, There are four things. What does the resurrection mean for us? Let's look at Acts chapter 10, begin reading with verse 39. We are witnesses of all the things He did, both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They also put Him, Jesus Christ, to death by hanging Him on a cross. God raised Him up on the third day and granted that He become visible, not to all the people, but to witnesses who were chosen beforehand by God that is, to us who ate and drank with Him after He arose from the dead. And He ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the One who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. Of Him all the prophets bear witness that through His name everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins. Now there are some very important things that we must learn from this passage. First of all, what we know from because Jesus was raised from the dead, we know that all people will be raised. All people will be raised from the dead. We see that in verse 42. And He, Jesus, ordered us to preach to the people and solemnly to testify that this is the One who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. The Bible looks to a day when people of all stripes, of all colors, will rise from the dead. Now, this isn't necessarily good news. You may think, well, well good, I'm going, to be, I'm going to rise from the dead and I'm going to spend an eternity in heaven. But John chapter 5, verse 28 says this. Jesus says, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and will come forth those who did good deeds to resurrection of life and those who committed evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. And then later on in this book that we're looking at, Acts, in Acts chapter 24, verses 14 to 15, it says, But this I admit to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I do serve the God of our fathers. Believe everything that is in accordance with the law and that is written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men cherish themselves, that they shall certainly be a re- that there shall certainly be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So the first implication of the resurrection, the first thing that we need to understand is that all people will be raised. That both you and I will be raised from the dead one day. And the second thing that we need to see, verse forty two is that all of us will be judged by Jesus. Did you notice what Jesus was called there? Verse 42, the second part says, "...and solemnly testify that this is the One, Jesus Christ, 
who has been appointed by God as judge of the living and the dead. So the first truth is that all people will be raised. The second truth is that all will be judged by Jesus. That Jesus will be our judge of both the living and the dead. Now, we're not simply free agents on this earth. Someday we're going to give an account of ourselves to God, of what we've done in this lifetime. Romans chapter 2, verse 6 says that God will give to each person according to what He has done. And in our day, we are so focused on the here and now. We're so focused on what is in front of us and, and getting as much. You've heard there's only one time to live, so go for the gusto. Get it all now. But the Scriptures speak of something completely different. It talks about living for another day. A day in which we will be judged by Jesus. And so the first truth that we need to understand with regard to the resurrection is that we will all be raised. Secondly, we will all be judged by Jesus. And then, turn back to Matthew chapter 13. What we will find in this judgment is that all people will be divided into two groups. All people of all time will be divided into two groups after they have been raised from the dead. Matthew chapter 13. And this is another disciple of Jesus Christ who is recording the account of Jesus. And he is, in this case, recording um, some teaching that is being done by Jesus. And Jesus makes this very clear that all people will be divided into two groups on the judgment day. Matthew 13, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea and gathering fish of every kind. And when it was filled, they drew it up on the beach and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come forth and take out the wicked from among the righteous and will throw them into the furnace of fire. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you notice what Jesus is doing here? He's given an example. It's like taking a dragnet and bringing in fish and dividing the good fish from the bad fish. He's saying that is exactly what will happen on Judgment Day. That one day, God will, will raise everybody up from the dead and present them before Jesus Christ, the final judge, and He will determine whether you are going to be sent to an eternity in hell, verse 50, and will throw them into the furnace of fire in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth with all the evil people, or whether you'll be uh, sent on to heaven with Jesus Christ and with His Father. And so, once we're judged by God, by Jesus, we will be divided into two groups. Those who believe in Jesus will receive forgiveness from this judgment. And those who reject Jesus in this lifetime will be rejected by Jesus in judgment. So, three implications so far. First of all, because of the resurrection, we know that all people will be raised. All people will be raised. Secondly, all people will be judged by Jesus. Thirdly, all people will be divided into two groups. And then fourth, this division 
will be forever. It will be forever. It's not like you see on TV or on commercials where you see a long line of people and, and, and they're waiting in line to, to talk to St. Peter or something like that. That's not how it's going to be. And, and maybe during that time, while we're standing in line, we can get things right and we can, we can bone up on the, the quiz that he has for us. Maybe if he asks some questions, we can answer all the, the answers correctly. There's no second chance when it comes to judgment. The time to make a choice is now while we are alive. Once we have died, the time is past. And God will choose, or Jesus Christ will choose, which group we will be divided into. And that judgment will be forever. His judgment is final. There won't be any begging. There won't be any time for for uh, showing all the good things that we've done, it will be final. Jesus will know what you have done and He will make the determination. Turn over to Matthew chapter 25 and we'll see this. Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. Matthew 25, verse 31. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory, that is Jesus Christ, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on the left. And then the King will say to those on His right, Come, you who are blessed of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. And then look down to uh, verse 39. Uh, I'm sorry, verse 40. The king will answer and say to them, that is, those who have rejected Jesus on this earth, the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. And then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. The judgment of Jesus Christ is final, and that judgment is going to be based on what you did on this earth. How did you accept Jesus Christ on this earth? The time to accept Him is not later. It's now. And and know that your attitude towards Jesus Christ now will determine what His attitude will be towards you at Judgment Day. Mark chapter 8, verse 38 says, Whoever, Jesus says, Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this generation, I will be ashamed of him before the Father. So we've seen, based on the resurrection, that all of us will be raised, that Jesus will be our judge, that we will be divided into two groups, and that that division will be forever. So the question that we have to ask is, So how do I make sure I'm in the right group? 
How do I make sure that I'm in that group that is good? Is it that I just keep doing more things for Jesus? I mean, maybe just the fact that I'm here today, right? Isn't that helpful towards me getting there? I know a lot of people that could be sent to hell and should be sent to hell. I'm not in that category, am I? Well, we need to understand that no amount of works can save us. There's no amount of things that you can do on this earth to to make that judgment day easier for you. You can give to the poor. Good thing. You can go to church several times a week. You can you can read your Bible. You can pray. You can do all those things which are all good things. But God doesn't look at your works. You know why? Because all of your righteousnesses are as filthy rags before God. Do you realize that? That because God is holy, He demands perfection. You can't stand righteously before God. And so it's not as if God has a scale up there. Okay, If you, if you have enough good works and they outweigh the bad, then I'll allow you to go through because, hey, you were good enough. You know what God looks at? He looks at your evil works. He looks at the things that you have done against Him. And He says, I cannot accept anything but perfection. And as a result, I have to judge. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says, It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's according to God's mercy that He saved us. It's not according to anything that we've done. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 say, For it is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, It's not of yourself. It's not a result of anything that you have done so that you can't boast. God is only satisfied when we are in Christ. He's only satisfied with perfection. And Christ is the only person that has ever been perfect. So somehow, we have to stand in Christ. We have to have Christ's righteousness put on our account. We have to have the penalty that we deserved, eternal death, put upon Him. And so that's why the resurrection is so important. Because it shows us that Christ had power over over sin, which we could not have. You say, well, why can't God just accept my good works? Why can't He just overlook the bad ones? I want you to consider this morning that, that all of our evil works, even if it's just one, are an offense to God and deserve to be punished. And... If we could get to work, if we could get to heaven on our own, if we could make it into this category of good people where God accepts us, if we could do all that on our own, think about this: Why did Christ have to die? Why did He have to die? If we could do it all on our own, if we could pile up enough works, I mean, Jesus was perfect, wasn't He? Why did He have to die? He died because we cannot stand rightly before God on our own. We cannot. We have to have Christ stand in our place. Okay, So if that's true, and that's what the Scriptures tell us are true, is true, then how do we get Jesus' righteousness 
applied to our account and our penalty applied to His account on the cross. Because that's what was happening on the cross. He was being judged by God for our sin. So how does that take place? How does that transaction take place? It takes place, as we saw at the beginning, when we have forgiveness of sins. Here's how you receive forgiveness of sins. Okay, You have to do two things. You have to repent of your sins and you have to believe in what Jesus Christ has done. Those are the only two things you have to do. Repentance means simply to turn from your life of sin. When we understand what Christ went through for us, when we understand what penalty we deserved for our sin, and when God has done this work in us, we will turn from our life of sin and turn towards a life of righteousness. Now that doesn't mean perfection. I said no one else can no one can be perfect in this lifetime save Jesus Christ. That means that we are no longer a slave to sin. We are no longer under the bondage of sin where we have to say yes. We now can say yes to God and to His righteousness. And that's all repentance is. It's a turning from sin to God. And then the second thing I said was that we need to believe in Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, this is not simply an intellectual knowledge. It's not simply having an emotional feeling about Jesus Christ because do you realize that even the demons recognize who Jesus is, what He has done, and they are even emotionally disturbed because of it. James chapter 2 says that, that even the demons believe in God and they shudder. They're fearful of it. But they have no forgiveness of sins, do they? Because they have not uh, trusted in God like God calls us to do. And so what... It, what faith in Jesus Christ requires is yes, we do need to understand what He did. That He died and He rose from the dead. But we also need to have an emotional response and we also need to put our trust in Him. That we need to to submit to Him. It's not enough to just simply know and affirm these things. We have to believe in our hearts that Jesus is who He said He was. And as we saw in Acts chapter 10, verse 43, everyone who believes in Him will receive forgiveness of sins. And that is our great hope in the resurrection. That we can have forgiveness through Jesus Christ, our Savior. When I was in college, there was one thing that really surprised me. It was the spike in attendance that there was on one day each semester. Do you know which day that was? It was exam day. We would go from about 20 to 25 people in the class to 50 or 60 people on exam day. And these people thought that they could blow off the entire semester and just show up for exam day and they would be fine. And based on the fact that I would see them in the next class, the next semester, it was true. They were fine. Somehow they passed by just showing up for one day. And you know, when it comes to our future resurrection, when we all stand before Jesus Christ, our judge, I wonder how many people think that that judgment day will be like my exam day. That they can just blow off this whole life and and just cram last minute. And God will accept them. Hey, it worked in college. Why can't it work in life? 
Well, God is not like those professors who maybe are a little too lenient in those cases. We have to acknowledge Christ while we are here on this earth. If we do not acknowledge Him as our Lord now, He will not acknowledge us as His child when we get there. Mark chapter 8, let me remind you again. Verse 38 says, Jesus says, If you are ashamed of me on this earth, then I will be ashamed before you in heaven on that judgment day. The response that you have to Jesus now will determine His response to you on that day. So how can you be sure? How can you be sure that God will accept you, that Christ will, will put you into the, the, uh, the group of people that you want to be put in, that you, want, that you will be sent into heaven instead of into torment? You have to trust in Jesus Christ. You have to repent of your sins and believe in the Gospel of Jesus Christ. Will you do that today? Will you allow God to work in your heart? God commands all of you to repent. He commands you to turn from your sin and turn to Him in faith. And if you don't know how you can do that rightly, then I would strongly encourage you to speak to one of the people who invited you or to a member of this church or myself. We would be happy to talk to you and show you from the Scripture how you can know for sure that you are a child of God. And wouldn't that be a great way to celebrate this Easter holiday, the resurrection of our Savior, by allowing God to resurrect our hearts from the wickedness of this world? He was raised from the dead for your salvation. You now must decide. You must accept Him. Let's pray. Lord, apart from Jesus Christ, we are nothing. We are deserving of Your judgment. And there is nothing that we can do on our own. We have to have Your help. So I pray that You would turn the hearts of those who do not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, turn their hearts toward You. Help them to understand these truths from the Scripture and to be able to rightly respond to them. Lord, we have been so uh, taught throughout our lives that, that we can do enough, that, that we deserve Your, your, um, your uh, rewards. We don't deserve Your judgment. We deserve only good things from You. But when we look at the Scriptures, Your Word to us, we recognize that there is a completely different picture painted. That there is nothing that we deserve except for Your judgment. And we recognize that because of the resurrection that Jesus Christ will judge all of us one day. And Lord, we don't want to have to take that judgment upon ourselves. We want our punishment that, that we deserve to be put upon Jesus Christ at the cross like so many people have done in history. And so we pray that if there are those here who do not know You, who not, do not believe You, who do not trust Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would turn from their sins 
and turn in faith to Him. What a great Savior we serve. And the only proper response we can have because of what You did to us through Jesus Christ is to praise You and to offer up our lives in service to You, giving completely of ourselves in worship to You in every aspect of our lives. Help us, Lord, not to just go away from here and forget these truths from Your Word, but that we would allow them to grip our hearts and allow Your Spirit to change us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.